Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And we are your hosts, Karen Wickham and Mary Gardner, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, baby, Maple Leafs. The home of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Who finally, finally, finally won. We are rabid. An opening round series for the first time in 19 years. 19 years. So for those of you that are listening, that's hockey. Mm -hmm. And we are insane about hockey here in Canada. Yeah. So if we're a little delirious today, that's why. And Toronto is the mecca of hockey. (laughs) Well, we like like to think it is. Some people think it's Montreal, but. Anyway, we won. We're excited. I'm waiting for the eviction notice because we went a little crazy last no, night in the apartment. We did not. We're good. We're good. Anyway, okay. Let's uh, get let's get onwards. In. Onwards. Onwards. Okay. So here is episode eight of the human experiments, and what I wanted to do was give the victims voices. The victims, obviously, of Doctor Ewan Cameron, who horribly abused these people, used them for uh, unwitting subjects for his demented experiments. Mm-hmm. Okay, the first person I want to talk about is Velma Orlikoff. She went through the whole horrible gamut um, of his experiments. So we're talking LSD, drugs, um, depatterning, psychic driving, um isolation all of it she went through it and her husband was a member of parliament for winnipeg and the reason why i'm saying that yeah is that through everything they went through even his status as a member of parliament meant nothing up against the cia and these medical experiments um i guess well maybe americans member of parliament's kind of like our senate yeah. Like they're a member from that province that goes to the federal government. Yeah. So, like you said, like part of the Senate. And um, so her treatment took place, if you want to call it that, uh, between 1956 to 1957. So what I want to do right now is just let her tell her story. I gathered these clips up from uh, a documentary done by the fifth estate which is equivalent kind of to 60 minutes or i don't know yeah like the canadian version and uh and i'm not sure in other countries would it be equivalent to but it's a sort of a documentary television show i just want to forewarn you that the clips aren't the greatest quality because there's a bit of crackling in the background and some really funky 80s music throughout the tracks so you've been warned Okay, so uh, let's have Velma tell her story. Everybody in the hospital was very much in awe of Dr. Cameron, and he strode the halls like a giant. And people would say, oh, there but for God goes God. And to me, I thought, how could he possibly ever take me for a patient? Who am I? I mean, this great man who's done all these marvelous things, and... uh, boy, I better work hard and I better do everything that he tells me to do and, you know, I don't want to lose this opportunity to get well. But I never saw him once in all the times that I saw him that I wasn't afraid. 
Every time I went down to his office, I would shake with fear. And every time I'd see him coming down the hall, I'd shake with fear. But I adored him. I've heard that it was the most brutal program under that, under MK Ultra in the States and in Canada, that this was the most brutal. It was an awful feeling to realize when I found this out that the man whom I had thought cared about what happened to me didn't give a damn. I was a fly, just a fly. In this next clip for reference, she's talking about when she was given LSD and some other drugs, but primarily LSD and she had no idea. The room became very distorted and I thought my bones were all melting. And uh, I, I just wanted to scream that I wanted to get out of there. And I saw the squirrels outside and I thought, they're not the squirrels, I'm the squirrel. I'm in this cage and I can't get out. And I started to throw myself from side to side in the room. And I couldn't write. They had given me a pencil and paper and asked me to write down, but I couldn't write. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't focus. I couldn't. I don't know. It was like some kind of funny hail I'd fallen into and I couldn't get out. And I don't know how long that went on. It was just a terrible nightmare. And I just felt that my life was threatened. I could never go back to what I'd been. I heard him coming and I hid in the washroom in my room. And I thought, well, I'll go and sit on the toilet. Nobody will see me. Anyhow, that didn't work because um, he knocked on the door and he said, now, come on, Lassie, you know you're in there. And come on, you come out and let me give you your injection. And I said, no, I'm not taking any more injections. I can't do it. I don't care if I die. I can't. I can't do it anymore because this is killing me and that's all there is to it. I can't do it. Well, he wasn't very happy about it. And um, however, after a little discussion, he turned on his heel and left the room. There was another lady who had uh, the same kind of psychic driving that I did. And she was a very wiry, slender lady and with lots of pep and zip, you know, and she'd go to the dances and this and that. And one day she just wasn't there. And uh, when we asked where she went, they said, oh, well, you know, she's gone to another hospital. Well, sometime later, I was in the day hospital, and I happened to ask a nurse if she'd heard what had happened to this lady. And she said, oh, that's her sitting over there. And I looked, and there was a fat lady that just looked like she was made out of dough. She didn't know me. She didn't know herself. She didn't know anybody. She was gone. Now that's a death. There was a gentleman who jumped off the roof of the Allen. I don't think he had LSD, but he had uh, sleep therapy with, um, with psychic driving, you know, with the driving tapes under his pillow. And they told him he was going to go home. And he'd just come out of sleep therapy. And uh, he just jumped, he said, went around, big smile on his face, said goodbye to everybody, went up on the roof and jumped off and landed at the back door of the Atlan, which was a dreadful, awful thing. I've been hospitalized. When I first went home to Winnipeg, I attempted to take my own life because I couldn't endure the way I felt. And um, 
I have a, a chronic need. I'm very dependent on other people. And I have a chronic depression, which at times gets worse. Okay, this next clip you're going to hear is from her husband, David Orlico, and he's going to give a bit of a perspective from his side. We had Blue Cross coverage, but we didn't have, uh, but Blue Cross did not cover treatment in a mental hospital. So uh, what we did uh, after the first year was to sell the house, which was really the only money that we had. And my daughter and I moved in with, uh, with Al's mother. And uh, we stayed there almost three years. It was, it was tough, but the financial cost was really a small part of the cost. If you're talking about cost, it really, it really disrupted our lives. So, to understand this further, they were paying to be a part of a horrible set of medical experiments conducted by the CIA through Ewan Cameron. So they were actually paying to be victims of abuse here. Yes. And a lot of these people went absolutely broke, lost everything. Mm -hmm. No doubt. So, I mean... And, I mean, uh, you know, based on the guy's reputation... They think that they're going somewhere to get help, like real help. They don't anticipate that they're going to be horribly abused. Especially, the, like, this took place, like I said, in the 1950s, uh, late 40s, uh, 50s, and 60s. And doctors were held in such high regard. Mm-hmm. Doctors are still held in high regard. But people have more freedom now and feel more empowered to say, hey, wait a minute. I need to take a look. It's still a thing where I say, oh, the doctor knows best. Not always. <laughs> yeah. And, and here's a per- Google stuff now too. Here, here's a perfect example. And I just want to take a minute here to talk about these people went broke, but he was getting a salary, a very good salary from the Allen Institute. Furthermore, the CIA paid him $69,000 to conduct this spare experiment. You convert that to now, that's $750,000 wow. that he was given. Okay. And they, the CIA also helped or mostly funded this to the tune of what is in today's standard, $5,350,000. Okay. So 500000 and the Canadian government, uh, 10000 which is equivalent to 100000 So, I mean, that's a small amount compared to what the CIA was. But still, that is still a significant amount of money to fund what was happening to these people by this deranged madman, power-hungry, with absolutely zero empathy, kindness, against all Hippocratic oath. Mm-hmm. Do you think anybody in the Canadian government knew what was going on? Yes. Okay. They were funding it. They knew exactly what was going on. Okay. <laughs> no, I just didn't know if they were like, oh, Could yeah, I say I'm... that more? No. <laughs> yes. No, I didn't know oh, if it good was question. just like, here's money for this research institute, but I, I just didn't know if they knew the specifics of what was going on there. They did. Okay. They did. 
And I'd like to think they didn't, but they should, first of all, know what they're funding. Yes, I agree. And they did know what they were funding. So. Which is shameful. Which, during the Cold War, it seemed like a reasonable thing to do, you know, to make sure that those, you know, communists don't, you know, it was fear-mongering. Yeah, but, you know, if you had volunteers or... You know, military people that did that, and they know the, co- you know, they know what they're signing up for. These people had no idea. No, no. They were going to be unknowingly given LSD. He was actually defended by the Allen Institute and other doctors, um, mm-hmm. saying that, well, those were the times. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just what we did then. So in those days, does that mean that doctors and medical people? didn't care about their patients is that to say all across the board it was a culture of you know let's just we need to just do what we need to do and fuck how they feel i don't think so you can't tell me that the majority of doctors nurses medical personnel didn't actually go into medicine to help people anyway Was there this, though, it's for the greater good, but... In this case, it was. But I've heard this time and time again where that's how it was then. But that's negating. That's trying... That's removing the fact that people didn't have, um, you know, any ethics, morals. But after the Nazis and Nuremberg and stuff, you would think, you know, wasn't that supposed to be the learning lesson there? Wasn't that supposed to be... Wow, that was horrific. We won't ever do that again. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. For them, they use that to drive them to conduct these experiments during the Cold War. And they're saying they're doing that to stop it from happening. So we have to do horrible things so that horrible things don't happen to us. They never were on board with the Nuremberg Code. That was for those Nazis, those people, not for us, even though they were doing the same things. And psychological torture yeah yeah what's worse i don't know who's who's you know i I would never know i've never gone i can't imagine what these people have gone through okay so um now that (laughs) i'm finished with that little rant let's move on to um i don't have a lot of information about everybody but i'll give i just want to say their name say what happened to them and play the clips that I do have. So the next person is uh, Jean-Charles Page. Um, He was there. He was put on or given a variety of drugs. He had 30 straight days of psychic driving and 36 days of induced sleep. That's just crazy. Yeah. The next person we're going to talk about here is Robert Logie. Now, he was given LSD and a variety of other drugs, shock treatment, 23 days straight of induced sleep, psychic driving. What got him there in the first place is he had leg pain. What? He had leg pain. What the Because it was psychosomatic. So we need to fix this guy. They, because they couldn't figure out what was causing the leg pain. Clearly, it was all in his head and he needed to be fixed. So in order to do that, let's wipe the memory and start from scratch. And as tragic as that is, when this leg pain was finally addressed, they gave him cortisone shots and the pain stopped. And that's all he needed. <laughs> Let's play his clips. LSD was uh, very horrifying and uh, 
They gave it to me for about 12 or 15 times. One minute I would see the doctor there, the next minute I wouldn't see him there, and they were asking me all kinds of questions. And uh, I remember them telling me that I was getting smaller and smaller, and I really felt myself getting smaller. And uh, they were bringing me back in time, way back, you know. At one point I almost felt like I was just about to be uh, born, <laughs> really, that far back in memory. And uh, they were really, really probing uh, asking all kinds of questions, and uh, I felt I didn't have any control. I had to answer. I didn't feel I had any control. I was completely, uh, like they had complete control over me. I was there for a while, and I thought, I, I don't want to stay here, and I, and I started to run away from the uh, hospital, and they grabbed me, and then they put me on sleep treatment. and that, they kept you asleep for 23 days. And while I was asleep, they were shocking the heck out of me with electric shocks and playing tapes. Uh, I've never been able to sleep without medication since the sleep treatment. I went through years and years and years of severe depressions. I dream about it. I, all, my, all my waking hours, I think about it. It's. Uh, I, it's eating me up. So you can hear the pain in his voice. What what this poor man went through. It's torture. I mean, there's no the lingering after effects like that have affected him for the rest of his life. Yeah. So yeah, congratulations. And it worked. It worked. How did it work though? No, but they achieved what they wanted to achieve. They broke their minds. Yeah. They broke them down. So had they, you know, you can't say 100%, but had they uh, said things like, you know, whatever they wanted to say so that they could be like uh, zombie soldiers. Now, that's just a ridiculous way of me saying it. But you get my point. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Some people react differently. But this guy, the rest of his life, Anyway. Can't sleep. Can't sleep. And he thinks about it 24-7. Yeah. And you can just hear it in his voice. It's horrible. Okay, so next I want to talk about, um, I'm going to play some clips um, from a woman by the name of Janine Huard. And uh, she, <laughs> she went to the doctor because she was having hearing problems. And like having some, not quite deafness, but yeah, hearing problems. And they, too, said it was psychosomatic. And here's what she went through. This is her story. He was a very, very uh, impressive man. And I was told he was the best doctor in Amer North America. So um, he would um, look at you a few minutes, ask you a few questions, and then proceed with uh, the treatment. They would give me as much as 40 pills a day. And uh, I would ask the nurse, what is that? They would say it's a new drug, and they only name it by a number. What did all those drugs do to you? How did they make well, you feel? Well, I, um, I was very, very strong, well-powered. So these drugs kind of, kind of uh, desensitized me. They would uh, put lower my... Uh, 
my reactions, they would lower my resistance, not to let my mind be capturing all the messages, but they would lower my resistance so much with the heavy drugs, but I, could, I couldn't do, do otherwise than listen. Did you ever ask them how any of this was making you better? No, I didn't ask questions. I was just saying, uh, I don't want to go through it again. And I would cry. I didn't want it, you know. I knew it. Way down in my heart, I knew it wasn't good. But, uh, you know, how could you fight? You're in a, in a hospital where it's supposed to be the best, with the best doctors, so... What can you do? I cannot go to sleep without any medication. I have uh, migraine headaches that last for a week at the time. Doctors cannot find a cause. Uh, I have uh, slight amnesia. I have a lot of trouble to concentrate, not being with my family not being able to follow a career, not being able to study anymore, which I wanted to do very much. Uh, I would say it cost me my life. Wow, that's horrifying and sad and was completely unnecessary. And what was she in for? She had hearing loss or hearing problems. So what, what the actual fuck has that got to do with anything? Psychosomatic. It's in her head. Oh, it was psychosomatic. Oh, we so need to sad. fix her head. We can't figure out what it is. You look like a perfect candidate for Dr. Cameron. Off we go. You know, I don't even think they were, th there wasn't even hiding the fact that they were just trying to cherry pick whoever they could. If you, if they could slot you into something that, resembled a possible mental health problem, then you were a candidate for that psycho. Okay, so next I want to talk about Lydia Stadler. Um, she had one of the longest stays at the Allen under and getting treatment by Cameron and his team from 1954 to 19. 64. 10 years of it. Oh my God. Her brain would be mush. She got everything. I can't. She I was permanently brain damaged and institutionalized. Oh, I wonder why. Electroshocked her brain into a putty, probably. And all the other things. The drugs. Mm -hmm. the, the driving. The 10 years of it. Velma Orlikoff. Robert, Janine, they went through that for months. Ten years! It's like a prisoner war camp. Like, what? Was it just a free-for-all with this woman? Let's see how far we can take it and what it does? Sounds like it. What a nightmare. A living night terror. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next person I want to talk about is Lana Ponting. She was 16 years old when she went to the Allen. She was given LSD, meth, barbiturates, tied up 
force fed the drugs and when they couldn't get her get them down that way they injected her with it she was examined and observed for the, her reaction she was patterned she had the, the sleep the therapy psychic driving and she lost two years of memory i don't really have any more information about her but that that tells the whole story hmm. this next person dr mary morrow she was a resident studying under him so when he did the interview to see if she was a a good candidate to be a resident at, at the allen he convinced her to be become to become part of the program you know so this is what we're doing here why don't why don't you see he depatterned her gave her massive page russell ect the whole thing so when she was done obviously she couldn't carry on at the time with her studies but this woman persevered and over a period of time she actually finished medical school and became a psychiatrist hopefully not like no <laughs> no not at all she is such an advocate for or Psycho, yes. In fact, I, she's not practicing anymore, but she became a huge advocate and, and a very kind, helpful, talented psychiatrist who had the empathy and compassion for people because of what she went through. Yeah. Next person is Rita Zimmerman. She had 56 days of sleep treatment. Okay, I just have a question. Like, they're sleeping for 56 days? Yes. Like... Isn't that dangerous? Like bed sores and claws? Oh, yeah. So they were woken up momentarily three times a day. So they were just sort of taken out to sort of a, just above a twilight sedation so that they could move. They would eat three times a day, go to the bathroom three times a day. And the rest of it, they were drugged so that they were unconscious. They were sleeping. That's insane. 56 days. That's just, I don't even have words for that. It's just so insane. While she was sleeping, they shocked her 30 times with the Paige Russell shocks, which you know is like a whole bunch at once. She was so depatterned that she became incontinent of urine and stool. She couldn't, couldn't control her bodily functions. So what, she was like, forgot how to potty train? She was just taken down to this very primitive level. She couldn't swallow. Uh, she couldn't speak. She just was taken right down. She was NG fed. That's just crazy. And all this all took place between July and September 1959. So two months they they did this. That's all it took. What I'm saying is they... they in a two-month period, 56 days, 30 ECTs, de-patterned. You know what I mean? So, like, that's insane. If you think about how intense the treatment they put her through. The next person is Florence Legelben from August 20th, 1959 to November 6, 1959. She had 43 days of sleep treatment, 15 ECTs, 32 days of negative psychic driving 
and 11 days of positive psychic driving. I need to ask what the positive and negative psychic driving are. Well, the negative is like the beginning. uh, You're a terrible mother. Why don't you care about your children? Why don't you care about your husband? You're selfish. And they would play that over again. Positive is you're a good person. You're a good mother. You want to get better. So they strip them down and try to build them back up. Okay. Okay. Next is Esther Schreier. And she was pregnant with her son Lloyd during her stay there. I'm just during the treatment. Cringing just thinking about it. I shudders. They knew she was pregnant. And they didn't give a shit. In fact, he became part of the experiment. He was a victim of the experiments too. So what did this do to a developing fetus? <laughs> right? So what did they put her through? Paige Russell ECT, massive amounts of drugs, um, 30 days in the sleep room or the sleep treatment. While De- she was pregnant. While she was pregnant. Depatterning, psychic driving. She became incontinent, mute, and had trouble swallowing. When she was finally discharged, she didn't know who her husband was. She didn't know who anybody was, and she had to relearn everything. In that time, she gave birth to her son. Didn't know how to be a mother. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know what was happening to her. What was this? What was going on? I'm shaking my head back and forth like, that's insane. So this took place in February 1960. So this guy, he's, um, he's fighting for all the victims of Ewan Cameron and the CIA. He's exceptional in the fact that when he was younger, he was very slow to learn. So it looked like, you know, the obvious brain damage. But once he got past a certain point, once he got closer to high school, everything picked up and he ended up graduating from university. This was the baby of? Yeah, Lloyd. And he's written um article on it. And uh, he's just uh, an incredible guy. And he's fighting. This is uh, an article I read from 2020. And he's still fighting for through families to get compensation. Because like him, like him, mm-hmm. he was a victim as well. Don't think about, about that, right? Mm, the, the abuse continues, basically, or the effects of it. Exactly. Next person um, we're going to talk about here is... Helene McIntosh. We're going to hear a clip from her and her experience and also from her daughter, Diane. She gives her um, experience and what she went through. I was uh, reduced to a baby and and wearing diapers and and being fed. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine it. I don't remember that, thank goodness, because it would haunt me in my dreams. They promised me that uh, I would get rested. I was told that I would be looked after in the hospital. That was hell, it really was. Uh, It's something that you can't describe. And when I start talking about it, I start shaking. My body shakes. It's like my body's saying, don't go there. Electroshock and a picture of Dr. Cameron and but I do remember him. I remember his voice very clearly. What clear. do you remember about him? He sat me in front of a group of 
medical students or um, doctors that were doing the residency. Mm -hmm. And he said, this woman is hopelessly incurable. And that was it. And he was so cold. When we got there, the place was um, just like a scene from One Flew Out of the Cuckoo's Nest. There were people banging their heads on the walls and droning and, and my mother was sitting there completely drugged up. And even as a child, I knew that she wasn't right. Just doesn't make sense that you can take a mother away from her children and ruin her life and that other people won't be affected too. What I failed to mention there is that she went in with postpartum depression. Okay. So, uh, and this is what they did to her. They did the whole, the whole thing, all the, all the horrible things. Uh, another and thing. And then to say she's hopelessly incurable? After they destroyed her brain. Right. In you front know. of a whole bunch of people, just to humiliate her more. Yeah. Uh, th th therefore, like, okay, we're done. We're done with her now. We can't cure her. Just toss her away. Toss her away. Um, another little bit that um, her daughter Diane said is that the couple times that her mom was able to come home and she would tuck her in at night, um, that because she was living with her grandmother at the time, the gra her grandmother would come in and to say goodnight to her as well and she would sort of uh, try to adjust her blankets and she would say, no, don't mom did that and she'd stay in the exact same position all night to sleep because the last thing like that's how she would remember her mom that she just tucked her in and she would lie there in that position so she could sort of still have that piece of her mother Jeez. Oh, yeah okay next uh this is a, a quick clip from a woman by the name of gina blasbalg and she tells about her experience uh there Many of them were just sitting there like zombies, and I have a headache. I don't remember anything. Gina Blasbalg was 15 and in an orphanage when she was sent to the Allen. She got massive drug doses and was kept asleep for months. Fortunately, she never received electroshock therapy, which may explain why she remembers the real Dr. Cameron and his patients. How did those patients regard, or apparently regard, Dr. Cameron? Those patients were too far gone. The ones that were not too far gone were terrified of him. We were all terrified to see him around. We didn't want to be near him. I don't think that any patient ever wanted to be close to Dr. Cameron. The next person that I want to talk about is Lou Weinstein. And I'm going to play clips from the perspective of his son, Harvey Weinstein, who saw the what happened to his father, was right there as his father deteriorated and was a victim of Ewan Cameron. Um, he actually went to medical school and became a psychiatrist. But that wasn't his goal. He went there, he was very talented as a surgeon and pediatrician. But he was just drawn to become to a psychiatrist uh, to try to figure out what happened to his father. Mm -hmm. And, and it, this was a Canadian guy, right? Oh, yeah. This, yeah. yeah. Oh, everybody here we're talking about, they're all Canadian. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to just start playing these, these clips here. Uh, my father was a 49-year-old Montreal businessman who uh, 
was successful and dynamic and whose life was destroyed by, uh, by a series of treatments. He was someone who became anxious for a relatively short period of time, who went to get some help, and whose life was totally shattered by the experience. He um, went in uh, one uh, winter evening and um, was put to sleep for approximately two months. He was um, given shock treatments of various kinds, gradually building intensity to an intensity and a frequency that was not certainly the routine or standard of the time. He was given a whole slew of drugs, including amphetamines, likely PCP, um, um, insulin comas, uh, barbiturates of all kinds, um, LSD. Uh, he was then forced to listen to uh, recorded messages. We're Dr. Cameron was present at the Nuremberg trials. So I find that for someone who in 1945, 1946 was involved in, in, in evaluating and considering what the Nazis had done to helpless people in concentration camps was five or six years later invading people's brains. I think it's important that, uh, that people understand what was happening to these Canadians and to my father in particular. Because you hear words like depatterning and psychic driving, and, and those are the words that Dr. Cameron used in his papers, and they sound very clinical. Uh, but don't give one a sense of, of the horror of this process. You can be damn sure that if this had happened in Canada to the wife of an American senator or congressman, the American public would be riled as a, unbelievable, and there would be pressure on Canada that would be very substantial. Where's my country? Where's my country in this? I don't know. And it hurts, and it makes me angry. There's so much more to this story. Harvey Weinstein actually wrote a book called Father, Son, and the CIA, and it tells his father's story. It also gives some good background about what was going on of how this came to happen and, and what led up to it and the fallout. But it was written quite a few years ago, but it's still, it's a, an excellent uh, book to pick up if you have uh, a chance to. It's in the show notes. Okay, so let, let's, now that I've said uh, fallout, let's talk about that. The family suffered greatly as well. They were split up. Parents couldn't take care of themselves. The children were often removed from the homes and had an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent to raise them. Some were put into foster care. Um, and yeah, some of the parents were put into foster care. Well, yeah. I mean, some of them became vegetables. It sounds like. Yeah. Or just, I mean, incapable of taking care of their own children. Well, the, let alone themselves. They, the, one of the biggest things is that they had amnesia. They didn't know. Years of their life were gone. Uh, as you heard in some of the, of the clips there, these women in particular, or, or fathers, would come home and not know that they had a family. Yeah, that's horrible. 
they would go through photo albums if they had multiple children and say, oh, that was you. And the son or daughter would say, no, that wasn't me. It was, it was so-and-so. And the pain of the children being able to, you know, reminisce with their mother going through these, these photos and there's none of that shared happiness or, or, you know what I mean? So, uh, so that's just devastating. The long-term brain damage, uh, and having to be a loved one, helping them for the rest of their lives or losing their partner. Cause that wasn't mm-hmm. the person they married. They, the person they married oftentimes didn't even remember who they were. It was also a financial burden, mm. as you heard. Yeah, that one's family's not in their house. That's crazy. Deep-seated grief and anger. Long-term mental unwellness from the family members. Mm-hmm. And the stigma. Just all of it. So the victims weren't just those who were treated. It, it went far deeper yeah. than that into family Way and more. friends. Way more collateral damage there, so to speak. No government, Canadian or U.S., I'm talking about, has never admitted liability, let alone apologized. In 1984, the U.S. sent a formal apology to the Canadian government, not the victims. I'm sorry, when was that? 1984. Okay. Okay. The U.S. How, how appropriate, 1984. And in order to get this apology, the U.S. asked that the Canadian government not share any of the details about the MK Ultra program with the patient seeking an apology and financial compensation. So we'll apologize, but don't tell anybody. Right. Especially the victims and the ones going after us for money. Don't admit to any liability, just say, oops. Yep. In the mid-1980s, the directors of the Allen Memorial Institute defended Cameron's actions. And they said that psychiatrists were not expected to inform their patients of the experiments. These all took place after the Nuremberg Code was put into place. So that's absolute bullshit. Yeah. Apparently, the doctors just didn't know better. No, they just choose to ignore it. It doesn't apply to us, like you said. We're not Nazis. Nine patients of Cameron's sued the CIA in the 1980s. They settled out of court in 1988, and they received compensation. But the CIA did not apologize or accept any liability. So they apologized to Canada, and then they gave money out of court, but said, what? We're not sorry, and we didn't do anything, but here's money. Idiots. Anyway, it was exposed during the trial that the Canadian government had provided more funding to Cameron and the Allen, and for a longer period of time than the CIA. So what I said before, five million plus from the CIA, a hundred thousand from Canada, but they continued to fund it over and beyond that, past the amount of $5 million. 
1994, 20 years after the experiments were first exposed to the public, the people who were experimented by Cameron between 1950 to 1965 were offered compensation. However, there were more victims in the experiments up and in, like into the late 1940s. So, you know, let's just forget about them. It was on the patients and their families to prove that they ex experienced, quote, full or substantial depatterning, end of quote, to be eligible. Well, and who, who would assess that? Their own CIA doctors? Or the lawyers well, the, from the CIA? Lawyers. No, the, the, the lawyers, they're, you know, the prosecutors with the testimony from the victims were up against the friggin' CIA and the government of Canada. So over time, 77 former patients received $100,000 each in what's called ex gratia. I don't know if I'm saying it right. And what that means is that giving compensation without admission of liability. <laughs> of course. Well, it's like persona non grata, right? Yeah. So here's some money for something we didn't do, but yeah. might feel bad about it. Yeah. No. No, we don't feel bad about it. <laughs> we just... We're just not going to admit to it. Yeah. So the victims and their families, and there are not many of the victims still alive, mm -hmm. are still fighting for compensation and recognition. And at the Allen Institute... Cameron's portrait still hangs in the halls alongside other past directors. But like the other portraits, they removed his name. But he's still hanging there. Hmm. What, what a kick in the teeth. Yeah. So the Allen is not recognizing it either. He's the first director. He's even Cameron. So then why would you even have his picture up? Because it's, I mean, it's the same. He didn't do anything wrong. We'll just take the name down so no one will recognize his ugly mug. <laughs> I'd have more respect for them if they took it down. It shouldn't be up there at all. Yeah. It's just absolutely ridiculous. All it takes is two hands to lift it off and put it away. Put baby in the corner or don't put baby in the corner. Or however that goes, burn just burn it. <laughs> So that, that's uh, the end of the story of um, CIA experiments in Canada. And it's just horrid. And I am disgusted and embarrassed that our country did that to, to those people. And uh, I don't know. I don't think they'll ever get peace. And hopefully mm. they can find, yeah, and I hope, hope for them, to find as much peace and healing as they can. Yeah, me too. Okay, so coming up next, we're going to be talking about Sidney Gottlieb, who was the Ewan Cameron equivalent at the CIA in the U.S., only worse. Oh, great. That's possible? Yeah. Mm. So that's who we're going to be talking about next. Okay. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everyone. And uh, we appreciate everybody from Patreon supporters, listeners, and Facebook group 
people peoples mm, good peeps all around good people all around so thank you all so very much thank you thank you and remember to take care of each other take care of yourself love each other and most importantly love yourself peace one love Bye.